this week on Hope for the Broken. Our society holds the view that there is no such thing as absolute truth. You'll hear it say this way, well, what is true for me is true for me. What is true for you is true for you. And they don't have to be the same thing. In fact, they can conflict each other, but that's okay because there is no absolute truth. And this, by the way, is an age old thinking, but absolute truth exists. And when Jesus says, I am the truth, he's saying, not only am I absolute truth, I am the measuring stick by which all other truth is measured. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called I Am. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part six titled, I Am the Way, Truth, and Life. We've been in the middle of a teaching series where we're working our way through seven I am statements that are contained in the Gospel of John. And these statements, each of them reveal a truth about who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. And Jesus is very intentional in using the first two words, I am, as Jesus rightly claimed to be God. That that was God's given name that he gave to Moses in Exodus chapter uh, 13 prior to the Exodus. And today we come to statement number six, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John as we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 here this morning. Now, I didn't intentionally plan it this way, but as I was preparing and thinking about, well, this is Graduate Sunday, we're talking about Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and man, I couldn't think of a more relevant message for our graduates who are about to enter into a world uh, that doesn't necessarily believe that. And you are kind of at a crossroads in your life where you're going to begin to get to make your own way, uh, graduates, and you're going to be able to make your own decisions regarding what you truly believe, the core of what you truly believe. And uh, I want you to know to hold on to the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life means that I will hold on to a biblical Christian worldview. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that is different than much of what the world offers us today. In this, the sixth I am statement, Jesus takes his teaching to a whole nother level. After saying he's the way, the truth, and the life, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And in using this phrase, Jesus is differentiating this statement from all the others that he makes that begins with I am. Not only does it mean that he's the fulfillment, the source of ultimate life, as we've seen in the other statements, but he is saying that he is the only way to the Father. It's saying, I am. He says, I, what he's saying is, he said, I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. And this, of course, flies in the face of what is known as religious tolerance, religious pluralism, which is a very prominent, fast growing ideology uh, across our, our culture. In fact, according to a study put out by Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, 70% of Americans affiliated with a religion 
or with a denomination. So these are religious people. Of the, quote, religious people in America, 70% of them believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. Oh, well, Pastor Chris, what about evangelical Christians, right? Of which we are associated, we are a part of that. What do they believe? Well, of evangelical Christians, according to this survey, 57% believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. And so the question is this, do all religions accomplish the same thing? Are they, aren't they ultimately just teaching the same thing? Aren't they just different paths going up the same mountain at which God is at its peak? Isn't the idea of religion just to make us better people? I believe Jesus answers this question in our statement of study this morning. And what we're going to see in this I am statement is that there is security in Christ. There is simplicity in his message. There is a sourcing that he provides. And there is a saturation that he gives. And so that will serve as our outline here this morning. Security, simplicity, sourcing, and saturation. Now, to fully understand the context by which uh, Jesus is saying this I am statement, he's given this teaching, you have to look back at John chapter 13, because it gives us a greater understanding of why Jesus is saying the things that, that he's saying. In chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room on what will prove to be the eve of his crucifixion. And there he has washed the disciples' feet He's enjoyed what will be known as the Last Supper. He's predicted his own betrayal, and he's even spoke of Peter's denial. And as a part of the dinner conversation, Jesus is trying to explain to them something that he's been teaching them all along to this point. He's trying to tell them that I have to die. I have to go to the cross, and I am going to depart from you, and where I am going, you can't come. At least not yet. You can't come where I am going. Now this this was devastating to the disciples. All of their hopes, all of their dreams were beginning to crumble in in these very words. Because they were beginning to get excited about what the future held. Just days prior to Jesus making that statement and giving that teaching, he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And remember, people had palm leaves and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were praising Jesus. And the disciples began to think, this is it. This is the time in which Jesus is going to bring about his kingdom. He's going to establish his kingdom. And we're going to get to serve alongside him in positions of authority in this kingdom. They're on top of the world. And it's at this point that Jesus says, I'm going to have to go to the cross. I'm going to have to leave you. And where I am going, you can't come. And this brought about confusion and discouragement. And the hearts of disciples. And that's where chapter 13 ends. And it's where we pick up the story in chapter 14. And I want to read, beginning in verse 1, as we see that in Jesus' statement, there is, number one, first and foremost, security. There is security in Jesus being the I am. In the midst of the disciples' confusion and turmoil, Jesus provides comfort. Read it along with me. Verse 1, John chapter 14. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. A couple things here about these verses. 
Number one, the word troubled. This is a word that you and I can identify with. There are moments in our life in which we are troubled. We feel that sense of trouble. The word troubled in the original language means disturbed, stirred up, agitated, anxious. The disciples were stirred up and began to worry about what was going to happen. They were overwhelmed by what Jesus was saying, and not in a positive way, in a negative way. But it is in that circumstance that Jesus provides a sense of security for his disciples. You know, Jesus is good at that. Jesus does that for us today, too. We can identify with moments in our life, whether it's a recent diagnosis or a change in your job or a sense of uncertainty about the future. Jesus speaks peace into those moments, even in our lives today. And he says to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. See, the other thing that I want to point out about this phrase in the original language is that the phrase, let not your hearts be troubled, for you grammar nerds that are in the room, is is a present passive imperative. It's a command. And, And what that means is this, is that Jesus is saying, I know what's going on in your heart. I need you to stop it. I need you to stop an action. I need you to stop a thought. I need you to stop what is happening in your heart, the trouble, the anxiety, the agitation in your heart, and I need you to trust me. So Jesus is issuing a command here. And Jesus gives the disciples from this point, after he makes this command, three reasons why they can stop being troubled. First reason he gives is he says, believe in God. Well, they already do. So then he says, well, then believe in me. And the word believe is a word that means to place absolute trust in. I need you to completely trust me, is what Jesus is saying to them. Trust what God is doing. See, these disciples could not see the bigger picture here. They did not know in a matter of days that Jesus would not only be crucified, but that he would be resurrected, and that when he would ascend into heaven, the Holy Spirit would descend upon the church and light the flame of the church, and the church would be born, and the message of the gospel would be cast and spread out all over the world. They couldn't see that picture. All they could see what was happening is in the moment. We don't have a big picture either. But we can trust the person who's painting the picture. God is at work, and he's working something in our lives. There has to be a moment, beloved, if you are a believer in Christ, there has to be a moment, even in the midst of the chaos that we often experience, that we come to a decision where we say, I'm going to stop the anxiety, and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Romans 8.28 says it this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things. Notice that notice Jesus, the, 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 uh, Paul didn't say the good things. He says all things, even that which we would say are bad things, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. To be able to make that statement, even in the midst of the chaos surrounding your life and mine, is to place absolute trust in God. It is to believe in him. Second reason that Jesus says that you can stop being troubled is that there is security and comfort in the fact that heaven is real. Heaven is real. He says in verse 2 that heaven is a place. 
He calls it his father's house is there. And that in his father's house, there are many rooms. And that Jesus is going to that place, that very literal, tangible place, to prepare a place for his disciples. That encompasses you and me. Anyone who comes to faith in Jesus is his disciple. And Jesus is preparing a place for us. Now, it's helpful to understand the Jewish background here to know the the totality of what Jesus is talking about here. See, in this day, when a, when a young man was of age to marry, he would leave his father and mother and he would go and find a wife. And when he would find a wife, he would pay a dowry to her dad. Now, as a, 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 a father of a daughter, I think that's a really good idea that we need to reinstitute uh, here and then take it away whenever my boys... So anyway, I digress. So you would pay this dowry, right? And then he would go back to his father's house and he would build a room onto his father's house known as the bridal chamber. And as soon as it was prepared for them, however long that that took, he would go back and he would bring his wife, marry her, bring her back with him, and they would live in the bridal chamber. And so when Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you means that Jesus desires a relationship with you. And there is a sense of security in that. And the dowry that he has paid to secure that is his very life and then his resurrection. And so, so we can have hope. We can stop being troubled because even at its worst, even if this life is over, beloved, there is a place for those that are in Christ. There is peace and security knowing that God is working for our good and that he's preparing a place for us. The third reason that they can have peace, even in the midst of their turmoil, Jesus says, not only am I going to prepare a real place for you, but I'm also going to come back. And when I come back, I'm taking my bride. And she, the church, believers, are going to be with me forever. This is the blessed hope of that the church has held on to now for over 2,000 years. They've held on. No matter what faced them, no matter the persecution that befell them, no matter what was said of them, no matter what they endured, no matter what it was that they were called to, they held on to the fact that Jesus is coming again. Even in the midst of this broken world, we too can hold on to that blessed hope. Not only is Jesus preparing a place for us, but he hasn't forgotten us. He's coming back for us and he's going to right every wrong and he's going to take us to that place and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and what a blessed day that will be. But until that comes, beloved, we can stop being troubled now and we can hold on to him who holds the future. We have hope, peace, and comfort in knowing and believing in Jesus. There is security Secondly, in this I am statement, there is simplicity. And when I say simplicity, what I mean is there is absolute clarity. The disciples were absolutely confused. Nothing that they had expected or were anticipating was beginning to flesh out. They were confused. What do we do? What does this mean? They had so many questions and Jesus made it very clear. In John chapter 14, verses four through six, it says this, Jesus says, and and you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. I mean, how can we know the way? You got to love Thomas, right? I mean, he's just brutally honest. He's the guy that voices what everybody's thinking, but is too scared to actually say it. All right, Thomas is that guy. 
And Jesus said to Thomas, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Absolute clarity. For Thomas's sake and for my sake with two brain cells. This is clear. This is simple. Now, there's a couple things to address that are important of note here with regards to simplicity. First is the note of the definite article used. Jesus says, he, he, says, he, says, I, he doesn't say, I am a way. He says, no, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is extremely intentional in using the definite article. He is not a way. He's not an avenue of truth if you happen to go down that way. He's not an avenue of life. No, he is the. The other thing to this point is a simplicity point is that Jesus says that he is the what? Way. What does it mean that Jesus is the way? Well, remember, he's answering Thomas's question. We don't know where you're going. Well, where is he going? He's going to his father's house. Well, I want to go to his father's house. So how do we get there? He says, well, I'm, I'm the way there. This is where religious pluralistic view begins to break down. Jesus is not a way of God. He is the only way to God. The fact that I am following, the, 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 in fact, following the I am statement, he says, no one, absolute clarity, no one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, if there was another way to get to heaven then Jesus dying on the cross and him becoming our Savior, this would be a really good place for him to have said that. He could have said, well, I am the way unless you could be good enough. Then there's that way. He doesn't say, I am the way unless you find another path that kind of goes in the same direction. No, if we could be good enough and if there was another path, then why in the world would Jesus have needed to die? He needed to die because we were dead in our sins. And that's a problem in trying to have a relationship with a holy God. The problem in believing that all religions lead to the same place is that every religion is mutually exclusive. Jesus says it here. He says, no one comes to the Father except by me. Well, what does Muhammad teach? Well, no, it's through Allah. In fact, he says, if you follow a, a prophet, Jesus, then you won't get there, but it's through Allah. Well, what, is, what does Buddhism say? Well, Buddhism says it's through the vehicle of meditating and through my teachings that you reach this state of nirvana, of bliss. So every religion is mutually exclusive. That is to say that they believe that they are the only one. And for us as a society to begin to say, well, all, all religions lead to the same path means that every religion is wrong because they're all mutually exclusive. So we have a problem here. They're either all wrong or one's right and the rest are wrong. How do you navigate that? How do you know what to believe? Well, Jesus is the only one who died for, resurrected for, and demonstrated power over sin, death, and the grave. And therefore, it's obvious to me, if a man could do that, he's no ordinary man, he's God, and anything he says about himself is true, and everything else is false. Jesus says, I am the way. Well, gosh, Pastor Chris, this is awfully harsh because there are really good people that happen to be Hindu. Yes, there are. And they're just as dead in their trespasses, trespasses and sins as you and I are. 
And they're just as in need of a Savior who climbed upon the cross and died for their sin and rose from the grave. There, are, there will be really good people who will miss heaven because they do not embrace the way. And listen, it would be unloving for me to say that. Like, like think if, if we had the knowledge that a missile was coming and that there was a bunker, how unloving would it be to tell the world, I'm not going to tell you where the bunker is, but I'm sure going to make my way there. Right? And in saying that Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, is the most loving thing Jesus could possibly share with anybody. I want you there, is what Jesus says. And we say, well, Pastor Chris, that's very narrow-minded. Well, two things I would say to that. Number one, Jesus said, Matthew 17, 13 through 14, his words, not mine. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, what about Peter's sermon? When Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's saying that of Jesus. But I would also remind you that, yes, while the way is narrow, the way is available to everyone. And so while it might seem exclusive, the path is very inclusive. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Yes, the way to God is only through Jesus, but salvation offered in Jesus is available to all, should you embrace him. So we see the security. We see the simplicity. Number three, we see the sourcing. The sourcing. Not only is Jesus the way, but he says, I am the truth. What does he mean? We've discussed about what he means by he is the way. What does he mean by he is the truth? Well, in addition to our society becoming more and more prevalent in the area of religious pluralism, our society also holds the view, by and large, holds the view that there is no such thing as absolute truth. You'll hear it say this way, well, what is true for me is true for me. What is true for you is true for you. And they don't have to be the same thing. In fact, they can conflict each other, but that's okay because there is no absolute truth. And this, by the way, is an age-old thinking. In fact, Jesus had a dialogue with Pilate while he's standing before a crowd that's shouting, crucify him. What does Pilate say? Pilate says, well, who are you? Are you a king? And Jesus says, well, you say that I'm a king. And he says, well, people who follow me know the truth. And then Pilate turns to him and he says this. He says, what is truth? And meaning there is no absolute truth. And this is exactly what our culture is saying. But absolute truth exists, right? Let's take a little test. Two plus two is four. It's always four, right? There's only so much money in my bank account and there's only one way to go north. I mean, two plus two, I guess, could be five, but then you would fail second grade math, right? I mean, I can imagine that there's infinite amount of money in my bank account, but one day the mortgage company is coming. (laughs) I mean, I can believe that I'm going north, but even if I'm off by a couple degrees, I'll wind up going west. I mean, there is absolute truth. In our world. And when Jesus says, I am the truth, he's saying, not only am I absolute truth, I am the measuring stick by which all other truth is measured. 
And, and this is where I want to get real practical for just a moment. Because as we've already talked about in this series, is that, that Jesus has taught that there are wolves, false teachers, that would seek to lead us astray in our world. We talked about how there are thieves and there are robbers that seek to gain entrance into the sheep pen so as to mislead the sheep. But that Jesus is the gate. He's the good shepherd. And here he says, I am the truth. I'm the measuring stick. So let's get real practical for just a moment. How can we tell if someone is a false teacher? I want to teach you something that I was taught when I was a high school student. Still remember it to this day, and it is very, very good and applicable. It even helps you identify what would be a cultic activity, cult. You add, subtract, multiply, divide. That's what cults do. They add to God's word. If there is any belief system that says, listen, the Bible's not enough. There's another book or there's another teacher that you have to hear. Red flag should go up. Pastor Chris, well, how do you know that? Don't take my word for it. Revelation 22, 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Jesus is the truth. We have the divine revelation of God, everything that we need in this book. So false teachers will add to God's word. Secondly, they'll subtract. Them, that is that they'll take away from the person of Jesus. Cults deny the very divine nature of Jesus. They'll say that he is a God, or they'll say that he is a prophet, or they'll say he was just a good teacher. Listen, Jesus can't be a good teacher. Why? Because he claimed to be God. Good teachers don't lie. And the great author C.S. Lewis told us that Jesus then is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Jesus is Lord, by the way. In case you need the answer to the test. And he proves it. And so Jesus can't be subtracted. His deity can't be uh, subtracted. So you add, you subtract, multiply. False teachers will multiply the requirements for salvation. Cults will teach that we are not accepted by God on the basis of his grace alone. They'll teach that we must somehow earn a position of peace with God through means of personal effort. Well, what's wrong with that? Chris, isn't that somebody trying to be better? Well, what's wrong with that is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So you have your add, your subtract, you multiply, and then divide. The Jesus is the truth test, but... False teachers will divide. They'll divide the family. They'll say that they're the only source of truth and that you should even leave your family so as to not disregard the enlightenment in which you are receiving from this avenue. I've seen people, families divided because of some radical belief system, some false teachings. No, Jesus is the great reconciler. He reconciles us to God, but he reconciles us among one another. Jesus is the truth. So there is security, simplicity, sourcing, and finally, in Jesus' I am statement, there is saturation. Saturation. Now, in this one, I'm reaching really hard to maintain the alliteration, right? I'm trying to please my preaching professors. What I mean by saturation is fullness. 
overflowingness. I mean, absolutely saturated. Well, what does he saturate? He says, well, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In Jesus is their fullness of life. We've talked about this statement, the other I am statements, but Jesus is the source by which we experience true, abundant, eternal life. In fact, in John 17, is. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and you and I, by default, of being followers of him or his disciples, and under this prayer, Jesus says this in verse 3 of John 17. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and that they know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. True life is found only in knowing Jesus. Again, this breaks down religious pluralism. I had one pastor I heard say, you could be a Buddhist without knowing Buddha. And you could be a Muslim without knowing Muhammad. And you could be a Confucianist without knowing Confucius. But you cannot be a Christian without knowing Jesus. Do you know the truth? Do you know the way? Do you know the life? Because Jesus is the only way to the Father, because He is the only source of truth, and because He is where true eternal life is found, do you know Him? And see, it's possible to know about Jesus and not know Jesus. You know, there is no skeptic who has ever walked the face of the earth who would ever deny the existence of a man named Jesus from Nazareth. I mean, that is lock solid. Jesus confronts us all. Who, what are you going to do with Jesus? And listen, you may know all about Jesus and not know him. The question is, is do you know him? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.